Hello, my name is Father Brian Eilers. I'm the pastor of St. Joseph, and I've been away for three months. So uh, some, <laughs> some of you are new, and so welcome to St. Joseph's. I uh, was away for three months in the Holy Land and on a sabbatical. And uh, so I was living in Jerusalem, and I was with a group of 22 other people from uh, Ireland and England, the U.S., and then Kenya and Sweden and Australia. Uh, so uh, it was a great three months being there, and uh, one of the things that I, a story from that time I want to share with you is there was, um, well, we would go around and, and look and visit different people, and sometimes they were holy sites, and sometimes they're more of just kind of things that are happening in the state of Israel. So we went to this uh, place, a kibbutz called uh, Arava Institute. And uh, here at this place, it was uh, sort of a college campus for um, students. They would be invited to come for a semester, and they would get to study ecology, the environment. And uh, they would invite students who were Jewish and Palestinian, and then from Jordan and other countries as well. But they'd always try to have a good mix of Palestinians and of Jews. And they did that intentionally so that in the midst of studying ecology and the environment, what's happening in our world, they would also start to have conversations with each other about their two histories uh, with the hope that there would be sort of a breakthrough uh, in their understanding of the political situation in Israel. And um, it's interesting to hear, we heard two students talking about uh, their experience. So uh, they're in a pretty impossible situation. If you know a little bit about Israel, uh, in 1948, the world decided that the Jews should have a homeland. And so we just, um, as the UN and uh, Western countries, decided that uh, we're going to give them part of what is considered the Holy Land and create the state of Israel, which meant that a lot of Palestinians got kicked out of their houses overnight and became refugees. So... Palestinians call that the Nakba, the great catastrophe. And it's something that continues because some of them still have the keys to their homes, homes that are sometimes still there or sometimes destroyed. Uh, so this is part of the conflict that continues to go on there in the Holy Land, in Israel and the state of Palestine. So there's a lot of tension, and over the years, that's continued to develop as Israel uh, makes settlements in Palestinian territory, not respecting their land. Uh, and then, of course, there's Palestinian aggression against the state of Israel. And leaders on both sides, some of them continue to foment this division. And so it really does seem hopeless. Like, how are these two peoples going to get together? Uh, how are they going to live together in peace? It seems like it's impossible. So uh, these, this one Jewish student, 21 years old, and then this uh, young man uh, who is from uh, the old city of Jerusalem, uh, he's a Christian Palestinian, well, we, they were telling us a little bit about their experience and how they're dealing with this reality of the conflict. And one of the members of our group uh, said, what gives you hope? Now, I found that a, a fairly direct question, <laughs> maybe a little uncomfortable, but the young man looked up at us directly without hesitation said, us, us. And so we asked him to elaborate, and he said, well, we're here, and we're figuring out how to get along, we're reconciling, and we want to build a future full of hope, 
Uh, we have hope that we will be able to get along. So what gives you hope? It's, it's us, because we believe that we can lead this. So I found this is a really uh, a powerful and strong and hopeful uh, response, that there is hope, and he believes he's part of it. So today I invite you to consider this question, what gives you hope, or what is the reason for your hope? Uh, in our stories today from the first reading from Isaiah, as well as the story of Joseph and even St. Paul, uh, there's this question that goes through all three of them, and what gives you hope? So first of all, with Isaiah, Ahaz is the king of uh, the southern kingdom of Jerusalem, and there's the northern kingdom, which is a more powerful and wealthy kingdom, and they are making an alliance in Ahaz's time to, with Syria to conquer a military conquest over Jerusalem in the southern kingdom. And so Ahaz, as the king, knows about this, and he is hopeless. He uh, is, thinks that it's, there's nothing that God can do, and so God comes to him and says, ask for a sign. And he says, I will not ask for a sign. I will not tempt the Lord. So he refuses in his hopelessness to even look up to God and to ask God for help. Right? He's so utterly hopeless. He refuses to look to God. And Isaiah the prophet is there and he says, well, the Lord himself will give you a sign. A virgin will conceive and bear a son and call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So... Uh, now, that's the prophecy that Jesus fulfills according to the Gospel of Matthew that we read today. I uh, heard another interpretation while I was over in the Holy Land that doesn't discount the Matthean interpretation, but also gives a, maybe a more human uh, consideration of this. So, I imagine Ahaz standing in the palace, looking out over the fine city of Jerusalem, and over his kingdom, and all he can see is fire and destruction. It's all going to fall apart. So this utter hopelessness that has taken hold of his heart. And so he won't even look up to God. And I imagine uh, the prophet Isaiah looking out the window and pointing to a young maiden, a virgin maiden, it's the same word there, looking at a young woman who's pregnant with child and saying, see that young woman there? She has more hope than you do. Shame on you, right? She, the woman who's pregnant with child, she has more hope because she has conceived this child and wants a better world. And you believe that the world is falling apart and there's nothing you will even try to do about it. She is trying to make a better world for her and her child. So someone with a child, obviously, to have children and have a family, there is hope because you believe that you're bringing your children into a world and you're going to try to make it a good world. Uh, somebody that says, well, this world is too corrupt, there's no use, it's a bad thing, or it's even evil to bring children to this world, they have no hope. So the young woman there with a child, she has more hope than Ahaz. So I invite you to think, well, do you have hope? Uh, or in whatever situation you're in, are you hopeless? We move to the gospel, and uh, Joseph is there, and he, his fiance, he's engaged to marry this beautiful young woman from his hometown. And if it comes to him, it's found out that she is with child. Well, 
Okay, he knows it's not his child, right? So what is he going to do? Well, he's probably got three options. One is he could get angry and expose her and tell everybody, hey, she must have done something with someone else because that's not my child, and she could have been stoned to death. We know that he doesn't choose that. So the fact that he's quiet uh, and doesn't make a stir, decides to divorce her quietly, there could be two things. One, he could say, well, Mary must have done something, but I don't want to cause her any problems, so I'm just going to quietly escape, let her go on her way, and, and ignore that something happened. And that's sort of hopeless. I mean, not really trusting that Mary is even a holy woman. But there's a third option that the fathers of the church ask us to consider, one that's actually hopeful and humble. What if Joseph, as a righteous man, realized, okay, Mary is a very godly woman. There's no way that something could have happened to her that she would have had a relationship with someone else. So this must be of God, but I am too humble I'm I'm not worthy of being in God's presence to be around her or whatever God is doing here. So I'm going to quietly step away and let God do his thing. And then when he's asleep that night, the angel appears to him and says, hey, this is of God. She conceived by the Holy Spirit. And by the way, you are to name him Jesus. And they will call him Emmanuel, God is with us. Well, You are to name him Jesus means you are to be his foster father. You have a role in this. You can't escape. God needs you to be here and to be the foster father for this child that's to be born of Mary. So get in the game, guy. Don't just stand on the sideline. You have to have hope, right? So this is what God calls Joseph to. In the midst of this sort of desire to stay out of whatever God is doing, saying, I'm not worthy, God calls him to step up and to take on a role. Maybe there's times when you feel like, okay, yeah, God wants to do things in this world, but I'm too lowly to be part of it. I mean, what can I do? I'm just going to be like Joseph and try to hide. I'll kind of stay in the game a little bit, but whatever God is doing, I'm going to stay away from that. That's not hopeful. Joseph responds in hope, and he steps up, and he takes Mary into his home and Jesus, and we know the rest of the story. So for each of us, I think that there's questions about what does it mean for us to have hope? What do you have hope in? Uh, Are you like uh, Ahaz, where you have no hope and you won't look up to God? Are you like Joseph, who wants to kind of stay away? Or are you willing to jump in the game and say, yes, I believe that God is doing something here and I have hope, like the young Palestinian and Jewish uh, students? So the reality is, is that God is one that calls us to hope. Our, what is our hope? What ought our hope be in? It's that God has come into the world, and at Christmas we're celebrating that, that in the midst of a messy situation, uh, in a place where the Jewish people are occupied by Rome, where in a stable that's all messy with animals uh, and smelly, that God comes into that mess to redeem it. And it's our hope that he's here not that he fixes it, right? It's that God is here with us. Jesus has come into this. He has saved us from sin and death, and he is victorious for eternity. That's where we place our hope, in the Lord, in Jesus. So I invite you again to think, well, in what is the reason for your hope? And what do you hope in? Is it in the Lord? 
uh, when I got back from the Holy Land, I was visiting some of the things that are happening in the parish, and one of those is the Alpha process. They were in their last uh, week. And so I sat down at uh, a group uh, at a table, and I was listening to what the Lord has been doing. And uh, it was very hopeful to hear the stories of what God is doing. So one man shared how over uh, his time of uh, working through the Alpha process, learning more about God's love for him, that he found himself praying throughout his workday, something he had never done before. And as he was sharing that, there was tears in his eyes. Like, yes, God is here. Not that anything has changed in his life, but God is there with him. He was convicted of that. There was a couple who was sharing a very difficult family situation uh, with one of their children, and uh, it seemed hopeless. And they shared how they were really getting to the point of hopelessness, and by praying and being there now, they were encouraged to surrender it to God, and now they were going forward in hope. It was a gift or grace of God that had been given to them. So what is your reason for hope? Brothers and sisters, we have to know that our, what our hope is and how our hope is in Jesus, to know where Jesus is active and present in our lives. Otherwise, we can't be apostles like St. Paul in this second reading. We're not apostles of Jesus Christ if we're not convicted that Jesus is alive and is working in our lives and around us. Sometimes when we look forward to family situations and gatherings, the if I know in my family, at least, um, there are those who go to church and those who, who don't go to church um, are not so close, it seems, to the Lord and to God. And uh, so those can be sometimes uncomfortable. And I hear sometimes people say things like, well, you know, you all ought to go to church. Why don't you go to church? And I don't think that that's what God calls us to when he calls us to share the good news. He calls us rather to share our hope, which is in Jesus Christ. So a better question may be, what is the reason for your hope? What gives you hope? So if we can ask that question and we also are convicted that the Lord is present and active in our lives and we do have hope because of Jesus, we have something to share. But if we're just going to church, kind of like Joseph, I'm going to stay out of whatever God is doing. I'm just going to do the basics. I'm going to try to hide. Or even Ahaz where I refuse to look up to God. I'm just going to do what I, I, I feel safe doing. Uh, and I'm going to take care of it on my own, then I'm not sure we have true Christian hope. But if we see the place where God is active and present, even in the messes that are around us, then, then we do have hope. We have something to share. We can be apostles of Jesus Christ like St. Paul. So as you prepare for your family situations, your family gatherings, time together, I encourage you to consider this question, what is the reason for your hope? And then be prepared to ask others that same question. What is the reason for your hope? And then you can truly share about who Jesus is. So this great question that one of my colleagues asked to this young Palestinian and Jewish kids, what gives you hope?